0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The Boston public schools have been in trouble in recent years. School transportation issues have been rampant. Superintendent turnover has been rapid. Student performance is below standards. Charter schools are swamped with applications from families desperate to find an alternative to the district school and much else. The state of Massachusetts considered taking over the Boston schools and operating them directly themselves. But in the end, the state instead has asked the Boston School Board to transform itself. State action to turn around failing schools was a favored reform strategy of the Barack Obama administration. As part of the Race to the Top strategy, it asked a lot of states to think about ways of turning around failing schools, and every student succeeds legislation passed by Congress further endorsed this idea. Well, how successful has all of this been? To discuss that topic, I have with me on the education exchange Beth Schuler, a professor at the University of Virginia and one of the country's foremost authorities on state takeovers of local districts. She's one of the authors of a recently released uh, paper on evaluating education governance does state takeover of school districts affect student achievement? So I'm very pleased to have uh, Beth Schuler with me here on the Education Exchange today. Thank you, Beth, for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Beth, let's begin with some basic facts. Uh, first of all, how, how many states have actually taken over local school districts since, uh, what, 1990? Is this when this thing all begins?
1: yeah sort of the late 80s early 1990s is when this gets started and so there have been um you know a number of states that have done this nearly nearly 40 states have uh you know enacted takeovers of low performing school districts um over 100 takeovers in total kind of over that period up until the present um and it's you know it's a relatively um in the grand scheme of things, I would say a relatively kind of rare phenomenon that it actually occurs. It's well, like... there's
0: 14,000 school districts, 100 have been taken over. So it's <laughs> one out of 140, right? Or something like that number.
1: Exactly, exactly. So it's relatively rare, but it's been sort of an increasing, um, you know, phenomenon sort of in terms of uh, a response to persistent low performance or sometimes uh financial issues uh so we sort of show in the paper that this is kind of increased over time um and uh and so you know we think it's of interest and in, and not just because of the instances in which takeover itself occurs but also i think importantly um you know i think the threat of takeover itself is kind of an interesting uh piece of the puzzle in in states that that have this and have used this in the past
0: well but not only that but it, it, if it's being done a little bit it might someday be done at scale if it's working and so forth. you really need to know whether something like this works this is exactly the time when we should be looking at these uh uh innovations because uh if we wait till they go to scale it's sort of too late and if we uh you know, if we do it too soon, then we don't have enough observation. So it seems to me like we're in the sweet spot here.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: So, um well, so how, what do they do when they take over? What's the, what does it mean to take over a school district?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it varies quite a bit from place to place and sort of case to case. So in some instances, it means um, the state appoints a new kind of superintendent, or sometimes it's called a receiver to lead the, the district. Uh, sometimes it means the state re- appoints members of either a majority or the entirety of the local school board. Um, sometimes they remove authority from the local school board entirely and just keep them on as sort of an advisory um, organization. Sometimes it involves kind of other forms of uh, governance shifts, like a transition to mayoral control. So it can look different um, from place to place, but sort of what they all have in common is sort of this shift from uh, typically a kind of locally elected school board to uh, the state level. And so that's kind of our definition and what we include when we think about state takeovers. Now, the Boston case is a little bit unique in that you know, it's there's already mayoral control. And so it's, it's a little bit of a a, a different and interesting case. But in general, it means and, and typically it means removing authority from the local board and placing it with the state who can who can then kind of do a number of different things with that authority.
0: Well, maybe that's exactly why they backed away. I, I know that they there was an election, there was a new mayor came in coming in, and probably the state sort of thought, well, this is not a very good time to take over a district when a new mayor might be prepared to do all the things that we would want that mayor to do, and she, we should give her a chance to do it.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounded like that was part of the the narrative and the kind of public conversation. Um, about the the reasoning for kind of waiting or the argument for, for waiting, holding off. But
0: what happens to the collective bargaining agreement? Uh, first of all, do most of these districts that get taken over have collective bargaining agreements, or is that is that not the case?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that we haven't actually looked at that specific question, although we've looked at other sort of, um, you know, proxies that might help get at that. So this tends to occur more frequently in states where there's sort of unified uh, control of the of the government at the state level, uh, particularly when Republicans are are kind of in control uh, of you know the legislature and the the governor's um, mansion. And so, um, you know, so that could point to uh, to kind of the role of uh, or a li- more limited role for collective bargaining in these contexts. Now in some cases, and in, in, in Massachusetts, um, is one of these places where takeover is really quite, um, you know, extreme in terms of the authorities that the state is is given. And so in, in Massachusetts, and some other places, the state is able to basically ignore existing collective bargaining agreements um, once they've taken over a, a district. So uh, and then in other places, that's not necessarily the case. So um, I think it, it varies from place to place, and potentially that's that could explain variation in you know the effects of these policies. But I don't think we that's well understood yet.
0: Well, that's probably an area that could still be explored because um, one might look for heterogeneity by that that variable. Um, so that's, that's sort of an interesting idea for for future research, perhaps. Uh, but uh, so you have. Um, Looked at the kinds of places. What are what are the issues that the state says are the reasons why it does take over? They gotta have a reason for doing it. They can't just sort of (laughs) announce it one day. They gotta.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it ranges. Say why. Yeah, it ranges, and and so and we we did our best to sort of use kind of news articles and public documents to try to track the kind of rationale that states were giving when they were engaging in takeovers and it was a little bit tricky to isolate um the reasoning in part because you know these the problems that i think takeover is designed to address tend to kind of you know go together they tend to be correlated and and sort of happen and clustered in the same places so it's a little hard to isolate you know which takeovers were for example because of low academic performance versus fiscal uh troubles but those tend to be, I think the the biggest two categories of, of sort of reasons that that states give, either um, you know f- fiscal kind of mismanagement or or fiscal troubles uh, and then academic low performance. Um, and then you know there's sort of a another category of things sort of around uh, potentially kind of corruption or sort of misbehavior of local officials that is sometimes related to those academic and, and fiscal uh, problems.
0: Well, did you investigate whether or not they actually were successful in cleaning up the fiscal side of things, or was that just too difficult to get your hands around?
1: Good question, paul. so you're you're sort of uh, ahead of me here. I'm currently working on another paper, and it's um in it's really being led by um Mimi Lyon, who's a, a scholar at uh, University at Albany and then Josh Blyberg, who's at Pittsburgh now and is um was my co-author on on the paper that's the subject of today's podcast we're trying to look at at this very issue is there you know is there some effect of takeover on kind of the uh, financial and fiscal health um, and sort of spending outcomes um, in in these districts so stay tuned for that I mean we're we're able in this paper to look a little bit we look at the effect on per pupil spending of takeover and we don't find very much there Um, but we're gonna in this new paper use a, a much bigger sort of sample of districts, because we can get the spending uh, and fiscal outcome data for a, a wider window of of time. So we can kind of look at that over a broader period. I should also say there's some work from, uh, you know, earlier work uh, from other scholars. So um, uh, Kenneth Wong and uh, Francis Shen have done some work looking at um, takeovers in kind of the pre-No Child Left Behind era, and they kind of a a combination of uh several kind of case studies and they find that states have had a little bit more success at sort of improving the financial outcomes in these districts and less success at uh improving academic outcomes but you know again that was sort of in the pre-NCLB era and we might expect that the effects could be different in an era of kind of universal test-based accountability which is part of why we wanted to
0: right and they used a more informal approach case study approach a little less systematic than than your your approach is so let's talk about your approach a little bit exactly how you do it what's the time period that you focus on and uh, and uh, how how do you get your information about student achievement
1: yeah yeah so for this paper, we track all the takeovers from the late 80s up through uh, 2016. But we're able to look at the effects of takeover on achievement for sort of a subset of of years uh, from 2011 to 2016, so that kind of more recent window. Um, And that's because uh, one of the reasons that that Wang and Shen were sort of limited in their ability to look at the effect of takeover on academic outcomes is because, you know, as as I mentioned, takeover is a relatively rare event. um, So it doesn't happen that often within a single state. So you kind of need to look across states. To really get at, at the effects of this phenomenon and get a big enough sample to sort of look at this systematically. But you know, historically, states have, as you know, administered different tests. So it's been hard to compare test results across states. And so, um, you know, in more recent years, um, a, a group of scholars has released these data through what's called the Stanford Education Data Archive, the CETA data, which um, you know, for which they've normed state test results to the national exams, um, allowing for kind of comparison of achievement results across states. And so what we do is we, um, in this paper, is we link our sort of tracking data on where takeovers occurred and when and for how long with the CETA data on uh, academic achievement outcomes to um, look at the effect of takeover on those achievement outcomes.
0: So um, that's that's interesting now, uh, and so exactly how does your research strategy go, because you can't just sort of take a look at a particular district and see, you know, if achievement changes after the takeover, because changes can occur for a zillion other reasons as well, And and you want to isolate the effects of the takeover. So how do you isolate the effects of the takeover from all the other things going on in the world?
1: Yeah, so. So we use what you know are called differences in differences methods and more specifically event study uh, models to, to basically compare the change in achievement outcomes for districts that are taken over before versus after they're taken over to the change in those same outcomes for districts that weren't taken over um, over the same period. So it kind of allows us to uh, essentially kind of difference out or control for all the other factors uh, that are changing over time that might be affecting uh, student achievement to try to isolate the the impact of the takeover itself.
0: That's other districts within the same state. I I trust.
1: Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's a good point. So we I mean we have multiple states in the sample, but then we use like state fixed effects to try to uh, you know make sure the comparisons are within state comparisons.
0: But, you know, the very fact that the school district has been taken over suggests that it might be different from other districts that might appear to be similar, because why would they take over one and not the other? So how do you deal with that issue when you try to make these kinds of analyses?
1: Yeah, so we do our best to, you know, look at uh, the predictors of takeover. So what are kind of the observable characteristics of districts that get taken over? And then we try to, you know, uh, check and see if our results change when we sort of account for and control for um, the characteristics of districts that seem to predict, you know, uh, that they would enter into takeover. So the idea is let's try to compare takeover districts to districts that have a similar kind of propensity to be taken over, but but weren't taken over. Um, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, with these methods, the one thing that We're really concerned about is, um, you know, is whether any effects we observe are we we really want to isolate the effect of the takeover itself from the potential for the takeover districts to have been on a different kind of trajectory um, on the outcomes of interest kind of leading up to the takeover. So, for example, you know if if we found that takeover uh, hurt student achievement. We want to make sure that's not because the takeover districts were sort of already on a downward trajectory relative to the comparison districts. And so um, that's just what we do. We try to sort of find comparison districts that were on a similar kind of trend leading up to the takeover event um, so that we can make sure we're kind of really capturing the effect of the takeover itself.
0: Okay, so another big question. Uh, What's the effect of of takeovers? What, What do you find?
1: Yeah, so on average, nationwide in this period from 2011 to 2016, we don't find any impact of takeover on student achievement outcomes. There's some kind of suggestive evidence that there are actually um, uh, negative, uh, small kind of negative effects on ELA achievement. Um,
0: What's that, ELA? I don't know what ELA is. It sounds like reading to me, (laughs) reading. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Paul, I know you do know what ELA is, but thanks for reminding me to to define my acronym. So English language arts. Um, so reading achievement. Uh, so we find some evidence of kind of disrupt disruptions to uh, to reading achievement.
0: So, uh, but that's sort of not clear that it persists. It might be immediate, and it's a little bit of a surprise because you find school effects greater on math generally speaking than on reading. So yeah. that's is that really how much confidence do you have in that finding?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we are we try to be careful in the paper to sort of um, you know, to to frame our effects as kind of null and the negative effects I think as sort of suggestive and in the short run. Um I'd love to do a sort of longer term follow-up to see if things sort of change and you know uh, in in future years as takeover kind of persists, um, but you're right, and that was a somewhat of a surprise uh, to me, given all the kind of um, you know the, the 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 typical pattern of sort of accountability policy having bigger effects on on math than than English language arts. But the
0: really durable or the strong effect, clear effect, persistent effect is is the, the null effect, right? You just don't see much of an effect. Now, how about graduation rates? Did you look at graduation rates as well?
1: We weren't able to look at graduation rates, so you know for sure we're kind of in this paper talking about kind of test based achievement, and so it's possible that you know we might find something different had we looked at other academic outcomes, or you know, had the ability to look at other academic outcomes. So it's a a challenge just in terms of the data and the definitions for for graduation rates got a little sticky. so. We opted to focus on. Well, there are
0: some case studies out there. I know you did one in Lawrence, and there's another one in Camden, New Jersey, where the state uh, took over the, the school district. And then they the new superintendent that the state appointed actually then uh, gave the worst performing schools to uh, charter uh, management organizations that had a pretty good success record uh, elsewhere. and. I think that they claim uh, uh, some success for that strategy. Is that sort of an exception to the pattern that you you also found in in Lawrence?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. so so you know, I should say that we find null effects overall, but there's quite a bit of heterogeneity or sort of variation in terms of um the size and direction of of the effects if you sort of look district by district. So, um you know we in at one point in the paper sort of show these effects case by case district by district and basically there are a number of kind of what I would call positive proof points where takeover did seem to uh result in uh achievement gains for students and then uh several other cases of kind of negative proof points where uh there was sort of a downturn in in student achievement results and interestingly in this window, this 2011, 2016 window, um, we're able to observe both both Lawrence. So we see uh, Lawrence kind of three years after the uh, takeover event. That's a district, as you mentioned, a low performing district in Massachusetts um, that was taken over back in in 2012, 2013. Um, and so indeed, you know, Lawrence is kind of a positive outlier uh, among these um, these cases, which is kind of consistent with some of the earlier work that I'd been involved with and then interestingly camden is one of the um the cases as well that that is within this this window and seems to have um uh seems to have generated some benefits in both in both math and and ela um now you know it's a little tricky to um you know to sort of use these results i would say i would say um to make strong claims about any one case just because you know, we're sort of using district level data here. We're not able to kind of look at all the things you'd want to look at if you were really evaluating what happened in Camden, for example, uh, you'd want to look at whether there were compositional shifts and kids were coming in and out of the district and whether you could really uh, sort of credit these gains to the reforms. But certainly this is suggestive evidence that, that Camden, uh, that, that some good things were happening there.
0: Well, of course, that's true in general, right? And for all of the districts, you don't—you aren't able to separate out compositional effects from uh, from uh, true effects. Uh, so maybe the null effects are due to you. That's a possible alternative explanation. I guess
1: it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think we. Um we do examine on average whether there are kind of effects of takeover on the characteristics of the districts and i think don't find really strong patterns there but you know it it could be that in particular cases like you know that you know i don't know if this is true but it could be in a particular context like camden or or lawrence there could have been you know shifts in student outcomes so if you really wanted to know about the reforms there you'd you know, you'd kind of want to look at student level data and 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 get into those details.
0: Well, I had a student in class uh, last week raise a question. She says, all these things, all these reform efforts seem to fail. No matter what it is, it fails. And I'm really the course is coming to an end. And I came here to learn how to improve the school system in my country. And all I'm learning is that nothing works so. um, So. Maybe maybe we need to get rid of school boards and the state should just run the school, uh, the schools from the the Germans do it and they actually you know do better than we do in in many respects. So what would be wrong with just sort of instead of the short term takeovers that the state just sort of begin to operate the schools?
1: Well, that's an interesting um, proposition. I'm sympathetic to to your student and am always kind of on the lookout for. Uh, you know, for some some optimism. Um, you know, I think for me, I view this paper as in some ways, uh, you know, not a definitive test of sort of school board governance, but, you know, I think it speaks to the question of whether school boards are sort of an effective way to, um, to manage school systems, uh, just because we don't have too many kind of examples of alternatives to school board governance to study and so to me this suggests you know maybe school boards aren't as bad as we uh you know might have thought to to begin with um, Yeah, but there's no
0: benefits to them I mean if their state can do just as well I mean the the null effect suggests well the state could do this just as well yeah well we can I argue think- that either, either side it seems to me yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the, you know, considerations is we're really focused here on sort of student outcomes, but I think there are a number of other uh, effects of takeover and sort of perceptions of takeover that might kind of be important and sort of be at play here. So, for example, um, uh, I think, you know, I've done some work with um, uh, with our uh, mutual colleague and friend Marty West looking at uh, public opinion of state takeover and kind of state uh, led turnaround efforts uh that shows um and others have done related work showing kind of significant sort of local uh resistance when you look at sort of public opinion around kind of state intervention and sort of concerns that sort of suggest concerns about the loss of kind of job security economic and political power when taking takeovers occur there's also a, a political scientist named Domingo Morel who has written a book about state takeovers and he's really looking at the effect of takeovers on, on kind of descriptive representation of elected officials in these communities so you know to what extent does the do elected officials look like the communities that they're um, representing and he finds interestingly and there's some interesting kind of racial and ethnic differences here but he finds when takeovers occur in majority black communities that seems to decrease descriptive representation so decrease the number of black elected officials um, uh, interestingly when it occurs in majority uh latino districts it actually seems to increase descriptive representation um so there's some interesting racial and ethnic differences but i i bring that up just to point out that i think um, there are implications not just for uh you know the students in these systems but also the adults and the communities that um you know might make it it challenging to uh to do away with um with local school boards uh entirely and and might you know that we would want to consider when sort of thinking about uh our governance system okay so
0: maybe abolishing school boards is not necessarily the best thing to do uh what is the best thing to do where what what should we be doing going forward where would you what should I tell the student
1: yeah so I think one thing I would tell the student is that uh when we look at the the sort of heterogeneity of effects uh, across districts um you know we do see some of these positive proof points right so I think there's some interesting work to be done to kind of look at particular cases that have that have seemed to generate um effects
0: well, Camden, you know, Camden is one of them. And Camden is that where they said, "Okay, we're going to take over this district, and we're going to the schools that are not performing or are the lowest performing. We're going to get the charters." Is that, is that sort of a suggestion that you would endorse?
1: You know, it's tricky, Paul, because um, one thing that's been a real challenge in being kind of a researcher in this area is that we've got you know a number of uh, you know I, I I say look at the case studies, but there are some challenges with sort of making bigger inferences based on the cases, because it seems like the cases, it's hard to detect patterns in some ways, in part because two main categories of things are varying, right? There's real differences in the context in which, you know, leaders are intervening, and there's also differences in the policies they've pursued. So, you know, if you take a a Camden or a uh, New Orleans, for example, where there's a, a strong role for Uh, the charters in sort of district-wide turnaround um, in both of those places, some evidence of achievement gains. Uh, But then in Lawrence, for example, there was, they were also able to generate gains, but with the taking a really different path where uh, they did bring in some charter management organizations to help manage schools without uh, without actually converting schools to charter status. And most of the schools retained kind of you know, remain traditional public schools. So it's, it's tricky because I think turnaround has, leaders have been able to achieve turnaround with very different um, policy prescriptions in very different places. And so I think there's a real need to try to understand how kind of context and interventions sort of relate to one another. Are there particular interventions that are best suited to particular kinds of places and communities? And how can we sort of figure out how to how to tailor reforms to to place. Um, it's kind of a key question for future research.
0: Well thank you very much, Beth. Uh, have I missed anything? What's what is there in your data that um, you would like to uh, bring out for our audience, our listeners to uh to learn?
1: Yeah, so I'll say a couple of things, um, two things. One thing I think is important um is that when we look at the kind of heterogeneity of effects um, we find that takeover seems to have been least uh, helpful in the relatively higher achieving context so I think um, you know one implication is that state leaders should be really cautious about takeover in places outside of the very very lowest performing uh, districts in the in the country Um, so that's kind of one Thing that I think we learned and is important for for state leaders to know the other thing is that I don't want to leave your student your student hanging here I want to I want to provide a little bit of optimism so um in some other related work we conducted a kind of meta-analysis of turnaround intervention so efforts to improve low-performing schools and districts regardless of whether it was in the context of takeover just you know any policy effort to improve low-performing schools and you know we're, our goal was to try to make sense and try to find patterns um, across this literature that's been kind of described as mixed. You know you've got positive cases, negative cases. Well, what do the positive cases seem to have in common? And we found 2 features of the interventions that seem to be associated with the biggest gains. Um, one is extended learning time, uh, which is, you know, I think, consistent with um, some of the case study work. that that I've done and the second one is kind of uh, teacher replacements and so efforts to try to improve uh, human capital particularly focused on uh, teachers in these contexts so on average turnaround reforms do seem to be able to to kind of generate some benefits and I think we do have some learnings about the types of uh, uh, characteristics of reforms that are associated with bigger improvements so um, Hopefully, hopefully, I've given your student a little bit of hope that there's... They're,
0: they're... <laughs> good teachers and have them teach for a, a, a longer period of time and kids will learn more. That sounds very sensible. I can believe that. So thank you very much, uh, Beth, for joining me today on the Education Exchange.
1: This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: I have been speaking with Beth Schuler, a professor at the University of Virginia and one of the country's leading authorities on turnaround strategies in American... Education. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon Eastern time when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.